Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. This week has been a long time coming in our staff meeting. Liz does this excellent job of putting all the upcoming dates in, um, in a list to keep the rest of us who may be aren't as organised as Liz on top of what's going on within church. And back in probably June, July time, I'm looking at Adam for an odd June, July time, uh, a very special date got added to the calendar, 19th of November, I was about to say January, 19th of November, Potato Dave is coming to speak at Hope Church. Um, For those of you, for everyone, um, we as a staff team have been referring to Dave, Matthias, who very kindly is coming to speak at Hope this morning. Um as Potato Dave, because Potato Dave is actually coming up for a potato conference this week. Anyone know that we were doing a potato conference in Harrogate this week? A few people, a few potato connoisseurs over here. Um, (laughs) Say again. (laughs) Dave Noir fans over here. I think it's more crisp potatoes. Would that be right, Dave? He's no idea. (laughs) But you have come and done this potato conference many times. And so we have very fondly and been very excited for Potato Dave coming. Let me actually tell you a little bit about Dave before he comes up and speaks. Otherwise, all you're going to think about is potatoes while he speaks um, wonderfully to us. Um, I met Dave back in, I think it was 2015, when we were both serving on um, the Amplify team, which is the youth team at Devoted. Um, He was part of the team that was was leading um, and... Um, it was it was great to get to know him there. Um, and then over the years, as time's gone on, um, at various different meetings, um, I often see Dave and have many, many, many a time had conversations with him. And I don't think I've ever, ever, ever come away from a conversation without being encouraged, um, sometimes challenged um, in a very loving way. Um, and I really believe that what he has for the, us this morning is going to be a real blessing. Um, Dave leads a church in, called Barnabas Church in Shrewsbury. Um, and actually, they've got a, um, a similar thing to us with the village where they're doing um, outreach into their community which really excited me as I looked at it I was like I feel like there's quite a lot that we could learn from their church as well um, in growing the village as well so um, he's got much 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 to bring this morning Um, so do you want to give him a clap and welcome him here at home Um, and come on up oh and I was going to pray for you I said to Dave shall I pray for you and he said you can't say no to that really can you so let's pray for Dave before he starts Yeah, Father, we just thank you for Dave, for all that you've put in him, for the journey that you've taken him on, and to bring him to where he is today. Father, we pray for him as he listens to you, as he follows what you are giving to him to share with us this morning. Bless him, Father, today, and all in the week to come as well, Father, and bless the church that he is leading as well. Amen. Amen. Wow, I've never had an introduction like that before. Fantastic. So yeah, uh, I've got a friend uh, in Shropshire who runs that potato conference. And so a number of years ago, he invited me to be part of his team. So working full time for the church since 2002, uh, for one week, every two years, I come and do like work experience, uh, being in the secular workplace up in Harrogate. And I love to do it. So it's such a privilege uh, to be here with you this morning. And uh, it's been brilliant already, hasn't it? Like, what a wonderful morning together. I'm so excited to finally be able to be part of this church and to visit you. And I just want to start by saying, never underestimate what an encouragement that you are in the wider space because of what you're doing here in Harrogate. 
Never underestimate the encouragement that you are. You encourage me doing my thing in Shrewsbury because you're doing it here in Harrogate because it's quite similar places in, uh, in many ways. So in order to introduce myself, I want to go through the four Fs, uh, which will help you to remember me a little bit. The first one of those is faith, and that you will be reassured to know that I have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it has uh, influenced my life uh, in a very real way. And so few managed to get that one in early doors, just in case you were concerned with all the potato stuff. And uh, the second one would be family. I can introduce you to uh, my family. That's my wife, Esther, who's a children's social worker. Four children. They go 12, 10, 6, and 5. I've got to do that in order that I remember all of them in the, uh, in the right order. So that's them enjoying the, uh, the North Wales coast. Another F that you can remember me by is that I love fishing. And uh, we've got some evidence of that. And in all honesty, I'm only telling you that because I'm showing off. And uh, as we're talking today about the need of approval and stuff like that, I just want to show you that so you know that I'm not the finished article um, quite yet. But that is a £36.5 mirror carp. And over £30, you get to name them. And so I was able to name that fish, which is all very exciting. And then the final F is uh, football. And uh, I really love football. That's me at the end of Wembley Way before the um, the Euro semi-final um, a couple of years ago. I do support Shrewsbury Town Football Club um, for my sins. And uh, I don't believe in purgatory, but I've been close to experiencing it. And... Uh, uh, you may have heard of them on the news, uh, on the sports programmes, uh, Shrewsbury Town nil. Uh, their name is actually just Shrewsbury Town. Uh, it's just, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what happens. Oh, the oldies are the goodies, aren't they? That's, that's fantastic. So, on with the show, shall we? So, that's a little bit about me, so that we feel like we know each other just a little bit. So, what I want to do today is I'll, I want to ask you this question. This is the question I'm asking you. What does God feel about you right now? What does God feel about you? You see, I grew up in an evangelical Christian home. I came to faith in my early teens at Spring Harvest, which is very exciting. Loving Christian family. Growing up in Shrewsbury, going away to study, Birmingham and then Nottingham, then back to Shrewsbury for my year out with, uh, with an exciting job up in Manchester to go to. And I'm still on my year out in Shrewsbury. Uh, I'm now 44 uh, and I'm still on my year out. For me, I've spent quite a long time in my Christian walk thinking that God's attitude to me was a little bit like when your parents say, I'm not angry, just disappointed. We do want to make him proud, but we know that we mess up, so we can't possibly, he must be a little bit disappointed in all honesty. Supermarkets have a relatively new phenomenon known as the self-service till. Are we aware of these? Have we ever used them? They are absolutely dreadful things. You're there trying to swipe your shopping, minding your own business. And then suddenly the red light starts flashing 
unexpected item in the bagging area, unexpected item in the bagging area, and you look around and everyone's looking at you, you're now responsible for this kind of minor security situation, and then some lady in the corner with these keys, like some medieval jailer, kind of runs across very slowly, in the key goes beep, 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 and you're now free. Turns out the unexpected item in the bagging area was actually a bag. It was their bag. Now, I would have thought one of the least unexpected things you could find in a packing area was a bag, but apparently not. And then you try and buy something really dangerous, like some sharpened crayons or something like that, and, and everything goes dead, and the red light starts going again. Approval needed. Approval needed. And you look around, and she's talking to a friend over there, and then slowly she gradually comes back across. I've got to get one of those keys off eBay or something, by the way, just to uh, save the pain of the, uh, the situation. <laughs> Suddenly she puts her key code in, and you're now free. I was quite surprised by God about... Six years into being a full-time elder, that he really revealed to me that I had some significant issues in the bagging area of my life, and they were causing my life and my leadership to cry out, approval needed, approval needed. Church leadership isn't a very good gig if you've got issues around approval, I walked to the front of my church, and near the front, there's a, uh, there's a row where many of our more sort of senior members sit, shall we say. In fact, there's this group of ladies, and they're all in their 90s, and, uh, and they sit there. And I walked to the front, and I was speaking that morning. And uh, this lady said, who's speaking this morning, Dave? And I said, I am. She said, oh, good, you're my favorite. And I thought, why is this, you know? In my church uh, at the time, we've got Martin Charlesworth with his Bible teaching. We've got Terry Hotchkiss, Ephesians 4 evangelist, and Dave. And so this lady said I was her favorite. So there was a bit of my ego that wouldn't, um, wouldn't let this lie. I wanted to explore more and bask in the collective glory of being this mature believers favorite preacher and so I said to her I said oh is, is there anything specific about my preaching that really blesses you she said yes Dave you're the only one I can hear <laughs> if you do public speaking then being audible is an important gift I will take that so this morning my heart and my prayer for you amongst other things is that you will hear what I am saying this morning. So I'd been to school, I'd been to sixth form, I'd been to university, I'd done quite well. But the sort of the comparison and the competitiveness of the education system had really caused a, a misstep in my mind. Some of the comparisons that we see in the Christian world, they'd affected me as well. When I was about 11, I missed the penalty in a penalty shootout in the final of a school's um, tournament and we lost. And just that feeling of like losing and disappointment and comparison, it co- did something in me that caused me to step away from things that I wasn't as good at 
even if I really enjoyed them, and to throw myself into things that I knew I could achieve in. I didn't want that feeling of failure anymore. So I threw myself into my studies, and I did really well. But it didn't bring me that sense of joy or that sense of peace that I was looking for because it was founded in a fear of failure. And even now, as an adult, um, I confess to you that I had actually been slightly jealous of people with football trophies. You know that bit where you walk into their house and they've got like a little shelf full of football trophies? That was like a little stab, a little subconscious stab in my heart. You see, I knew verses like Galatians 4, 6-7, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And I knew verses like Ephesians 1, 5-6, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In my head, I absolutely knew that God was my father and that he loved me. But in my heart, how much had I allowed it to actually impact me? Or what, what, was this sort of fear of failure that I'd inherited from the world around me? How much was that influencing and shaping my uh, my walk with God? And, and this sense of comparison, and even in the Christian world, you know, Oh, how many people come to your church? Oh, uh, how many different meetings did you get to? How many, how many views will this talk get on YouTube? We've like developed more and more sophisticated ways of comparing ourselves. And what, what feelings does that sort of evoke in our hearts? In the parable, of the parable of the prodigal son that we're going to be looking at in a bit, the older brother He cries out, I've been slaving here for you all this time. And that probably, that heart attitude probably is one of the best descriptions of how I felt in my heart. But God, I'm working really hard for you. I'm, I'm trying so hard, God. And the people close to me uh, in my life, my fellow elders uh, at the time, really encouraged me that they could see like um, like a, a, a problem in my character in this area. And they really encouraged me to, to seek God and to find some healing in it. And so I went off to one of these conferences where they're looking at the Father Heart of God. And uh, I heard some teaching that was described. I'm, I'm reading from my journal notes now. I heard some teaching which was describing um, people who know that God's their loving Father, but they act still like they're orphans. Orphan thinking that we carry with us into our new relationship. And as they, read, as they read through this list, it was like being judgmental of other people. And I was like, oh, tick. Being jealous of what other people have. I'm like, well, I can't even get past the football trophy, so we'll tick that. Basing our self-image on a lot of comparison. <laughs> tick that box. Um, being more insecure behind the scenes than you are in your public persona. You're putting on a front. Tick that box. I mean, I almost stood up in the meeting and went like, bingo, full house. I got five in a row. Do you know what I mean? But during that time, I did some serious business with God. And I had what is one of the most formative spiritual experiences of my life that I'd like to tell you about. And then I'd like to dig into the scriptures and to see where the foundation of some of that stuff 
comes from. As part of it, the guy leading the session asked us to imagine Jesus holding a box, and into the box we could put any of these wrong ways of thinking that we wanted to repent of and turn away from and give to him, and so I did that. And, uh, and after that, they said, well, just as a prophetic exercise, imagine Jesus holding another box, and in it there's a gift for you. Go and see what it is. And I thought, well, this is a bit outside my comfort zone, but, you know, we'll give it a go. And so I leaned forward, and I saw a, uh, a glimpse of gold in the bottom of this box. And I stepped forward, and, and nestling in the bottom of this box was the Jules Rimet Trophy. For those of you who don't know, that's the original World Cup, which is the one that England won in 1966. And, and I breathed in sharply, because you know what I think about football trophies. The very thing that I, I wasn't good enough to achieve, and yet here's the most important trophy on the planet. And it was as though Jesus offered me this box. And, and as I picked up the box, I, I became aware in my mind's eye and in my spiritual imagination, if you like, that I was inside this massive stadium. And uh, I think we've got, yeah, there we go. And there was this line of floodlights around the edges and it cast everything into a bright light and I heard this huge roar. And I just cannot quite articulate to you how loud this roar was. Now, as I said at the start, I like my football. I've been in some pretty intense atmospheres. A last-minute winner in a playoff semi-final. At the moment, Harry Kane scored the rebound from the penalty against Denmark. It was absolutely wild inside Wembley, as you can well imagine. I've been to the World Cup. I've been to the European Championships. But nothing... Nothing came close to this because I became aware that it wasn't a human noise. It was like a, an angelic uh, noise, like, like thousands of voices. And it was as though Jesus invited me to, to lift the trophy and, uh, like players do when they've won it. And it was then that I felt a little bit like, and you know when there's like a footballer that's injured and so they miss the game, but then their teammates invite them out anyway to, uh, to join in? Because what had happened was that um, in 2013, I'd seriously injured my knee, uh, cruciate ligament and other stuff to it. I'd had two operations, 18 months of rehab. I'd, I'd, I'd really hurt myself. And, uh, and so I literally was that injured footballer. And I felt God speak to me through my knee injury at the end of all that and say, just like that knee injury um, has prevented you from doing so many things, that's nothing compared to the wound in your heart that's hampered your fruitfulness and your joy, but just like the surgeon is going to dig in and cut out the manky bits and restore some new bits inside your knee, and then you're going to do the rehab and come back to full fitness, that's what I want to do with your heart. And he explained that the trophy was mine to lift in him. And these are my words now from my journal again. So I turned to the crowd and raised it, and the whole place went completely crazy. The noise, the roar, deafening joy, waves of approval poured over me as Jesus with his arm around me identified me as his. I think before then, I'd seen my life a little bit like a football match. And it was almost like I was trying really hard and playing my bit. And Jesus was kind of like the manager on the the sidelines shouting a bit of encouragement. And then Father God was a little bit like the club owner up in the director's box, very mysterious and unknown, the kind of like cosmic Roman Abramovich sort of a figure. Do you get what I'm trying to say? 
That's not a sentence you expected to, uh, to hear in church this morning, is it? But I had to try and win in life, and God was going to give me a little bit of help. That's the way I saw it. And on that day, I felt, I felt the Lord really impress on my heart that my life isn't the match. It's the victory parade. It's his victory parade. And here's the victory parade from West Ham last year when they won some European trophy that no one's ever heard of. Uh, in order to try and keep it local, I did, uh, for Adam's sake, I did try and find a picture of uh, Coventry's victory parade, but there aren't many of those pictures uh, in experience, so we, uh, we had to settle for, uh, for West Ham. I hope that's okay. So the, this victory in my life through what the Lord Jesus has done has already been won, and, and, and my life now isn't the match that's the striving, but it's the presentation to the community around us of the victory that the Lord Jesus himself has won. I wrote this, and there's no need to seek the approval of men ever again because I'm stood there, Jesus has his arm around me, and I'm lifting a trophy in front of tens of thousands of angels. What praise of man could be more than a whisper compared to that? And so that's like a prophetic experience that I had that was very, very life-changing for me. But the truth is, most of this stuff was under my nose all the time. I knew it all. I absolutely knew it all. I just didn't feel it, and that means I'm not sure I truly believed it or even knew what believing it would lead to. So we're in Luke 15 today, and we're, gonna, we're just going to go through the parable of the lost son. From verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This is one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. Give me my share is the same as saying, I can't, literally, I cannot wait for you to die. I can't wait for you to be dead when I will inherit. Therefore, I want it now. I want the fullness of your death in today, a total rejection of his father's household. He's not just after the cash, he's rejecting the whole space. From verse 13, not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's there. Not only has he taken this inheritance, he's now squandered it, and he gets desperate, and desperate involves getting this job, feeding the pigs. And remember, what the pigs were in their law, in their culture, the most unclean animal, the thing that you were not allowed to touch. He sunk to the lowest of the absolute low. I don't know what the equivalent is in our culture at the moment. Maybe, um, you know, uh, scraping around in bins for food, that kind of thing. Um, Just the absolute lowest of the low. Socially untouchable. It's an absolute disaster for his life, for his reputation. 
Verse 17. When he came to his senses. I love that. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. So there is a recognition here that he has completely and totally blown it. Hungry, bruised, guilty. He makes the decision that he is going to come back to father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. We've sung this morning, haven't we? I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be Enough. Part of our worship is derived out of this image of God running out to meet us. But let's just dig into that a little bit because wealthy men in those days wouldn't run. A sign of your wealth was that you had other people to do the work for you. Showing your legs wasn't socially acceptable and in order to run in the clothes of the day you'd have to hitch up your your cloak or your tunic and uncover your knees he runs out and he runs out he runs out of his estate he runs out of his household and into the public domain where everybody can see so we've got this damaged and hurting son smelling of pig who has completely and totally blown it Arriving home hungry and dirty, and out comes father with his robe up, running, running out in order to embrace him in public, going out into his shame and bringing him back into belonging and back into family. The father went out into the shame of the son in order to bring him back. That echoes, doesn't it? of where in Philippians it says Jesus humbled himself, becoming a man, being a servant, being willing to die, even death on a cross. It's that that same picture of the heart of God that reaches out into our shame in order to draw us back into his family. From verse 21, the son's still got his, uh, his speech lined up. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But let's just back that up. The son said. He was the son. That identity is what makes the difference. The fact that he's the son, it's going to trump all of the heartache and the, 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 the difficulties of the situation that he has caused and let's just explore the fact of these situation you know I've sinned yep you have against heaven and against you yep you're right and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son that's probably true by societal reckoning that is true there's no hiding there's no there's no pretending there's no skirting it over there's no turning down the dial of what's actually gone wrong he completely names it You see, sometimes, like, we say sorry and we call it repentance. Like, and it's not. Repentance is a complete turning around and a coming towards. I told you earlier that I've got four kids. 
And uh, sometimes I'll be sat down in my house having a quiet cup of tea. Doesn't happen very often. You know, you're 20 seconds in, quiet brew, alone with your thoughts. From somewhere in the house. You're like, is it a boy or a girl? Does it sound like it's got violence associated with it? Or is it just verbal? How much do I need to respond to this? And, and, and you go and you, uh, you, you, you ask what's happening. And you see, the truth is, my children are really, really, really good at sharing um, it's just that sometimes it's sharing other people's things. And, uh, and that's the problem. So, uh, so we've got all this, she took my thing, I was just borrowing it. You know, and so you do the parental thing, deep breaths, keep calm, carry on. Please say sorry, sorry. And then that's it. You go back to your cup of tea, sit down, take one sip. What do you hear? And off they go again. Saying sorry isn't repentance. I do that sometimes. Sorry, God, that I've done that thing that I fully intend to do again. Sorry, God, that I'm doing that thing, that I've done that thing that I'm not going to make any steps to avoid doing in the future. No. His repentance is a complete turning. It's a walking away from. It's a coming back to. It's being clear what the actual facts of the situation are. Are we ready to turn from our wrong ways of thinking and our wrong ways of acting and just run towards Father again? But what's really interesting about this story is that as the prodigal's coming back, he still doesn't understand. He still doesn't get it. Even though he's coming back, he's acting like he's not going to be welcome. He's acting like he's coming back. And even if his father's not angry, he's still going to be disappointed. That's how he's acting. He doesn't seem to know he's going to be forgiven. You see, he's somewhere in his, deep in his heart, he's stopped believing that he's a son. He's stopped understanding who he is. The truth is, he was always the child. He was always the heir. Father was always Waiting, And these next verses from verse 22, they're, they're amongst the pinnacle, I think, of our identity of who we are in Christ and what this gospel, what this good news of the Lord Jesus means for us. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's a victory parade here. This is a victory parade in the household of God that's completely open and true about the sin that has happened, but it is a victory parade because Father is welcoming the Son home. The Son's got all the religious words ready. Well, I'm willing to earn my way back to you. (laughs) Red flag there. But instead, he doesn't just get accepted. He gets completely and totally restored. The robe a sign that you're part of the family, possibly even the father's robe, literally clothing him. It shows a right standing with father. Anyone who saw that robe would know that he belonged to that family. I've got a question, a very basic question. Would you lend your coat to someone who'd been living in a pigsty? He's literally covering the shame and the smell of the implication of what he has done He's covering it. 
a picture. We're now clothed in white robes of right standing because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And he's given a ring, a signet ring that you'd use to mark official documents, a a seal of wax, and the ring goes in the wax, and that shows that the signature, the authority with which to enact what it says. So giving a ring to someone would be a, a sign that they are in an office of authority to speak and to act on your behalf. The child who'd rejected father, squandered his wealth, is recommissioned and given the authority to conduct father's business. That is astonishing. That is wonderful good news to each and every one of us. And then the sandals in a Jewish household, it would, in those days it would be the family who wore footwear He was being shown without question that he was a son. He wasn't a servant. He wasn't a slave. He was a son in father's household. So as the son comes back to father, with all of his words and his, I'm going to earn my way back, the father restores to him, because of his great love, all of the aspects of his sonship, reminds him of who he really is, acceptance, belonging, and authority of what it means to belong to the family of God. Not comparison, not competitiveness, not need for approval, but who we are because of who he's made us and because of what he says. There's a whole nother talk on the response of the older brother, but because I can't do that remote justice, I'm not even going to start. Because I'm coming into land now, and... I came back from that conference and my wife said that she had a different husband. She said, you've changed. You've changed as a husband, you've changed as a father. There's something in you. I don't even know what's happened to you, but there's something about the way the world looks to you now that is different. And it was that this life, this life isn't the match. This life is the victory parade. And since then... I want to tell you that everything has been brilliant. We are walking in daily miracles. We are on the edge of revival. And I practically don't need to wear shoes now because I float in the unmerited blessing of God. But that's not the case with bells on. I've just had the hardest four years of my life. March 2019, my dad suddenly fell in our family home and uh, he died in the front room of our family home, completely out of the blue. Since the beginning of 2020, our church building flooded four times in three years. And by flooded, I mean it's quite a big site and the water was knee high. So where your seats are, the water would be lapping on the pads of your seats. Every time it floods, it's about 500 hours of voluntary labour, seven or eight weeks out of the building, all our ministries grinding to a halt and at least £15,000 with no insurance. During that time, we had a split in our eldership team and uh, one of our elders left to start a new church and took about 50 people with them. 
all of that was happening with the different lockdowns and the pandemic occurring. And during that time, we'd been building up for a number of years in the process of adoption. And uh, it was in that second winter lockdown that we had the great privilege of uh, adopting our younger two children uh, to become a family with our older birth children. But that happened in the middle of a winter lockdown where we couldn't see anyone, go anywhere, or do anything for three months, unable to use our church building, and with great disunity in a sense of not quite knowing what, what kind of church we were going to come out of the lockdown and back to because of all those challenges. I was tested to the absolute limits of my mental health. If I was still living for approval and achievement and comparison, I don't think I'd be here today. And when I say I don't think I'd be here today, I'm not talking about public ministry in a church. I mean, as a fellow human being, they were dark, dark times, extreme testing. And so as I look back now with hindsight, it was almost like God was taking away that weakness in me, giving me the grace to be restored in some of those areas before they would have been ruthlessly exposed by the circumstances of life at that time. So it's not just all like squidgy, lovey, goddy, huggy sort of thing in the slightest. This is about the Lord wants us to stand in him. And life can be really, really difficult. But I can definitely say that my loving father has and will lead me through. And he's helped me to greatly enjoy my own son and to, uh, I think we've got a photo coming up, and uh, to enjoy him winning many, many trophies. And he has a shelf in his bedroom full of trophies. I can tell you before God, I'm not jealous. No, I'm not jealous. I can just celebrate because it's so fantastic to see that for him. Father has welcomed you home. He's given you robes. He's given you sandals. He's given you a ring that speaks of his authority. You are the trophy. Your life is the victory parade of what the Lord Jesus has done on the cross and what it means for weak, undeserving people like me and like you. So as we talk about this stuff, it really is all the glory goes to him. I think it was Heather earlier who shared for people to focus on God and to step up and to step in to his presence on the basis of all that he's done for us. That's the prophetic call that I'd love to finish with now. And uh, how are we doing for time? What do we think we should go for now? Let's get the band back up. I'd love to finish in worship. As they come and make their way, I'm going to pray. And then 
the response isn't for a few people who've got the courage to walk forwards. The response is for every single person as we open our hearts to our Father in heaven and we sing together. So as these guys get ready to lead us out, I'd love us to stand together if we are able. And I'd love us to pray. And I'd love you just in your own thinking, in your own imagination, to just open your heart to God now. What does that mean for you? What's the Lord got to speak to you about in this space? And I want to pray. Father, I want to thank you that you are rich in mercy and abounding in love to those who follow you. Lord, I want to thank you that your truth isn't just for the good days and the successes, but your truth is the light that shines in the darkness. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that in your death and resurrection, you have done everything that was required. You have done everything, Lord, so that we don't have to add to it or strive, but we can walk in the fullness of it. And Lord, because of that, we want to be wholehearted for you. And my prayer for each and every person here, Lord, if there's any aspect of our life which is pulling us away from wholeheartedly running after you, Lord, would you help us to truly repent of it, to truly turn away from it, And just like the son came back, and he was honest about the circumstances, but he did come back. I want to pray, Lord, that even this morning, as we sing these songs together, Lord, this is us running to you. We want to throw off the things that hinder us. We want to throw off the sin that easily entangles us. And we want to focus on you, Lord Jesus, the author, the perfecter of this faith that we profess. Lord Jesus, it's your good news. It's your gospel you are alive it is all about you and we absolutely submit all that we are the things we do well the things we mess up our hopes and dreams for the future our health our families our finances lord jesus as we run to you we lay it all down before you and we say lord you come first and we want to follow you with all that we are amen